You're listening to Radio Influence. On this week's episode of Crush Performance, when we talk organizational and team performance, we use words like chemistry and culture. But who is steering the ship? Who is empowering the team, the organization, and the people within it to get the job done? At the end of the day, the responsibility of team and organizational success falls squarely on team leadership. But what exactly does that leadership look like? This week on Crush Performance, we step into the executive suites of elite sport performance as we talk with former Major League Baseball GM and three-time MLB Executive of the Year, Dan Duquette. I can't wait for this conversation. Let's get to it. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10-1260 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell. So glad you could join us today as we dive into episode number six of our 2022 theme, Organizational and Team Performance. And there's no better time to do it. You know, with the start of the Major League Baseball season, the playoffs happening in the NBA, right around the corner with the NHL, we've got rumblings of the NFL draft happening. There's so much going on in sport right now. Plus, at the developmental levels, we have NCAA seasons coming to an end. We've got youth sports, summer sports taking off. It is such a critical, critical time to really dive into and understand what it takes to help your team and organization move in the right direction. There are so many moving parts you have to deal with at every level of sport, but there's also common themes that have to be addressed if you're going to be successful, no matter what sport, no matter what level you're dealing with. When we look at organizational and team performance, we hear words that are commonly used and thrown out there, words like team chemistry and words like team culture, words that are always there, but do we really understand what they are and exactly how powerful are they in the first place? Are they something that just happens and you roll with as a leader, as a coach, or as a player? Or is it something you can actually orchestrate, develop, and direct? Well, I'd like to think the latter. I think we have way more control over this sort of thing than we can imagine. And I also think we underestimate the true value and the power of this in terms of development at the youth levels, but also in terms of performance outcomes as we get more into the high-end, elite levels of sport. And in today's analytical and data-driven age that we're all operating in, it seems that if we can't measure or put a value to something, we have a tendency to underestimate its importance. We like to have value. We like to see numbers. We like to assess progress. So can we measure team chemistry? Can you measure the effectiveness of team culture? Can you evaluate or maybe assess or put a number on how much it impacts performance outcomes. Well, it turns out there's been a number of notable organizations who have tried to break down and put a value to team chemistry. One of those studies done by MIT in 2017 looked at the strength of teammates' on-field interactions, and they found that 44% of the unexplained variations in team performance could be explained by team chemistry. And then another similar study done by Fault Lines Research looked at algorithms based on good chemistry. They looked at the Major League Baseball season, and based on their algorithm data, it was determined that good chemistry accounted for four wins over the 162-game schedule. That is a lot of wins in a Major League Baseball season. 
for a good number of teams, that's the difference between the postseason and the end of the season. And then finally, researchers at UC Berkeley focused on the NBA, and they found that certain teams were 2.3 times more likely to win their divisions. What did all three of these studies have in common? Well, they looked at player interactions, and more precisely, player interactions during games, on the field, and on the sidelines. It's chemistry, an interplay of biological, physiological, and sociological factors. At MIT, they looked at the strength of teammates' on-field interactions. At UC Berkeley, there were high-touch teams and low-touch teams. I'm talking about high-fives, hugs, shoulder-slapping, and fist pumps. The more the players touched and interacted, the better the team did. Team chemistry. It is very difficult to measure, but it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Because it really does. And you have more control over this type of thing than you might realize. As a coach or as a leader, you can start rituals of high five lines or handshakes after a great play or, even better, after a terrible play. Secret team handshakes, a team cheer, clapping for the pitcher. There are many ways you can foster a culture of team and teammate interactions. You just have to be creative. Data or no data, we know that it will bring your players closer together. Coming up after this break, we're stepping into the executive suites of professional sport with Dan Duquette, former Major League GM for the Expos, the Red Sox, and the Orioles, and three-time MLB Executive of the Year as we continue our look at the Crush 2022 theme of organizational and team performance. It's all right after this. Stick around. This is Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information with Jeff Crushell. Get in the action and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks? We love them all. Get to us. Check out the new website, jeffcrushell.com. Lots of new features on there, lots of new great ways to share information. And a lot more to come as well. But if you're looking for some help or if you have a topic you'd like us to investigate, that's the place to connect. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on all other social media platforms. Search out Crush Performance and we can connect there. All right, let's get to it. Episode number six in our 2022 theme, organizational and team performance. You know, when we look at all of the successful teams and organizations and businesses and schools, there's a common denominator that seems to be very, very consistent. Everywhere there's success. Great leadership is a consistent theme amongst all of the great teams and organizations. You can't win in spite of leadership. You can only win with great leadership. So what does great leadership look like? Well, there's a lot of information out there. There's thousands and thousands of books and websites and blogs talking about leadership. But I think you have to make it your own. You have to define what it is for yourself. And a lot of that depends on your goals and objectives as a person and how you take that and mold the goals and objectives for your organization as a leader. And there's one common theme amongst all leaders, at least something that comes up consistently whenever we talk to great leaders or read about great leaders and great organizations. And that one common theme is great communication. I think if communication is part of your culture, part of your organizational and team culture, you're in a really good place. But there are so many things 
that have to happen for an organization or a team to be successful. And a lot of that, again, falls squarely on the leadership. So what does it take to be a great leader? What does it take to steer an organization or a team in the direction of success and a championship? There are so many moving parts, but it can be done. And joining us right now to talk about exactly this is former Major League Baseball GM and three-time MLB Executive of the Year, Dan Duquette. Dan, welcome to Crush Performance. So glad you could join us. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's an interesting time. Uh, the baseball season is underway. We've got NBA playoffs. We've got NHL playoffs. The NFL is rumbling. There's sports happening all over the place. Uh, this year, Mr. Duquette, the um, theme on our radio show is organizational and team performance. And I'm not going to lie to you, I've really been looking forward to this conversation, especially when we look at sort of the the work you're doing with the Dan Duquette Consulting Agency there. You guys are, of course, helping in the world of sports and entertainment, but also business development as well. When we talk organizational success, you have steered some of the greatest sporting organizations on the planet. Um, there's a trickle down effect, Dan. How, how do you think how do you think it starts and it's obviously a two-way street. How do you go about about um, about making it happen when you're sitting at, at the top looking down and trying to steer an organization in a certain direction? Yeah, well, that's a big question, right? That's a big question. It's going to take uh, it's going to take a little time to chase that chicken around the coop, but um, I'll, I'll I'll give it a shot. You know, when you take a look at a uh, a team or an organization, you know, and, um, you know, my experience is more sports teams and, and building an organization. Um, I think probably the most, uh, critical piece is knowing what you, what you believe about leading that organization to a, uh, you know, championship and put them in a competitive position to, to win a championship. So, I think knowing what it is that you believe in uh, before you assess, you know, what the, what the goals are um, and then, you know, put in your, uh, put in your strategic plan in place. I, I think you, you have to have a clear mind on what it is that, that you believe in, because you're going to have to communicate that effectively to everyone in the organization. I, I'll give you, I'll give you a good example, right? So, in uh, Western Canada, you, I'm sure you guys are familiar with Pete Carroll. He's the football coach, right, for the Seattle Football Club? Absolutely, yes. Uh, right. And um, Pete Carroll uh, is, is a very successful coach, um, but he was, with the, uh, he was with the New England Patriots, and I think that was his first, uh, maybe his first head coaching job or maybe his second. And uh, he was with them for a couple of years, and, I got to know them a little bit. They had a box at the ballpark there at Fenway. The Crafts did, and, and the Pete would come out. And um, I, I'd see him around the ballpark. Uh, but but he, didn't, he didn't have the success uh, there that he ended up having later in his career. But after that, um, after uh, he left the Patriots or was let go from the Patriots, he sat down and he crystallized his, his thoughts and put them into a book. And I think the book means like uh, win forever. Uh, but he he basically admitted that he wasn't sure exactly what he thought about certain areas of uh, of uh, feeling uh, a competitive team. Okay, so 
he when he when he went back and he thought about it and he wrote down wrote it down uh, so that he he knew it better. He was in a much better position to communicate it when he got back into the into the coaching and and I, I think that was that's a very instructive uh, piece of information. That's very instructive advice for anybody that's 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 running a team or an organization. You have to know what it is that you believe in because if you don't know what it is that you believe in you're not going to be able to communicate clearly with everybody in the organization. And so like if, if it's a football team, uh, for example, and you're, you're, you're a football coach, what is it that you need to know that you believe in? Well, okay. You need to know that you believe in uh, recruiting the very best players, right? And then you have to have standards that you put into place or the skills that are required for each of the jobs that you're going to fill or each of the positions on the team that you're going to fill. And then you have to have the ideal uh, set of skills that will put you in a, the most competitive position or, or to, uh, to help you uh, win the, uh, win the league. So um, if you, if you study the Patriots and the organizational behavior of uh, coach Belichick and you listen uh, to the things that the people say in that organization, they will tell you that Coach Belichick has a criteria for every single position on the field and every single skill that he needs to have a competitive team in each of those positions, and that he has communicated that effectively to everybody in the organization. And so who am I talking about? I'm talking about the scouts, the people that go out and assess the talent, the coaches, the people that assemble uh, the team from the talent uh, that is put together by the scouting uh, network of the organization. And everybody knows exactly what the Patriots or uh, Coach Belichick is expecting from each of those positions. And, and that, 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 that's what I'm talking about, is about knowing what it is that you believe uh, before you can go out and communicate it effectively to, uh, to everybody else. Yeah, sir. I totally appreciate that being part of an organization and, you know, probably, you know, inside, you know, uh, the Blue Jays for the years I was there coming up through the minor leagues, getting to the big leagues. I understand exactly what you're saying. And that has to come from the top down. And then everybody kind of has to act and work to make that happen uh, throughout the organization. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, having a vision and a set of standards for the organization, I think, that helps people uh, be comfortable within the organization, and you know, people uh, move from club to club, right? It's it's not it's not a static industry. It's a it's a personnel injury, but you know, when when people move from club to club, the organization has to have some beliefs that that uh, they can rely on because um, they're not going to be uh, they're not going to be beholden to uh, one person to run that organization. The organization has some values and principles upon uh, and beliefs upon which they which they um, will uh, transfer to the people that work for them and which will hopefully transfer to success for that company. So uh, when you talk about um, uh, le- leadership, though, the, the, the clear vision of what it is you're trying to accomplish and, and what the goals are for the organization, um, those have to be communicated to everybody, but it's also helpful that people contribute uh, to helping create those goals because that's where you can 
develop a really good environment for collaboration within the organization. Um, so I, I always found it helpful to um, ask people at the start of the year what it is that they wanted to accomplish uh, during the season and have a discussion so that, you know, if you're in a leadership position, you can marry their individual goals uh, with the goals of the organization, uh, with the people that are that are working in your organization, because you know what 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 the organization is communicating, <laughs> you know sometimes uh, it, uh, it may not be received uh, the way that you hope <laughs> hope for it to be received when you communicate it. So I think that's why it's helpful to create that dialogue between the people that are helping you accomplish your goals uh, and. Um, having a discussion so that you understand if they actually understand the goals and, and what it is that you're asking them to accomplish. Um, you know, so, so all, all those things need to go on in an organization, but really the, the, the leadership, um, the key thing that they uh, need to do is set out the vision, set out the vision for the, the whole company, right? Make sure it's clear, make sure people understand it. And then, you also need to uh, get it, have an operational plan. You know, how, how are you going to accomplish these goals? You know, those, those are those are strategical. Those are strategical uh, things that you would do. You know, to then to, to accomplish it. So, so if your goal is to start of the season is to win a World Series championship, uh, say you're on a baseball team, you know, then you got to have goals to uh, help accomplish that. And then, you know, if you go through the season, you don't quite do it, then you can adjust some of your goals and look at the areas that you fell short. And then as you start the next campaign, you can try to improve in those areas and, and shore up, um, you know, the weaknesses that you've had on your team, you know, going into that season. Yeah. Yeah, it really makes sense. We're talking with Dan Duquette, former Major League Baseball executive and founder of the Dan Duquette Consulting Agency. Uh, Dan, your career had to have really uh, helped you uh, come come together or, or, or put together those master plans, those goals and objectives, you know, starting as a scout with the Brewers and then getting into player development with the ex- Expos and eventually to the head office of the Expos. Then, of course, the Bo- the Red Sox and the Orioles. How important was that sort of uh, uh, developmental process uh, in your in your, I guess, final ideas of what an organization can actually accomplish? Having that sort of grassroots kind of experience early on in your career must have been really helpful. Yeah, it really was. Uh, I've received, I was fortunate uh, to receive some excellent training uh, from a couple of mentors with the Brewers. Uh, Harry Dalton was the general manager there, and he hired me right out of college. And he told me flat out the day that he hired me, he said, I'm not going to pay you very well. He said, but I'm going to teach you a, a fundamental way to value baseball players and, and build a team that, that should help you uh, make a living. In other words, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you some fish, but I'm gonna teach you how to fish, right? Right. Um, and and uh, Harry was a terrific mentor to me. Sent me out and got me great training in player personnel. First as a scout, then as an administrator in the office. Uh, finally, as a as a director of scouting there for my last couple of years. And then uh, Bud Selig, the owner of the uh, Brewers, he taught me how to manage a budget, you know. Uh, Bud Selig's uh, nickname was Budget Bud. <laughs> and, uh, you know, 
you'd, you'd bring your budget into him and he would absolutely massacre it and, uh, and, and cut it down and send it back to you. And then you'd have to go back in there and, you know, make a plea as, as to why you needed this to help the, help the club and help the company. Um, so, but, but taught me how to, uh, how to manage a budget. And, uh, you know, Harry taught me an evaluation system. Um, and you know, that, that, that really helped me after leaving the Brewers organization, we had a good minor league development system. We had been the, uh, baseball America organization for the year for a couple of years. My last couple, when I was a scouting director before that, I was the assistant farm director. And then I had an opportunity to go and apply those skills over with the expos where I was uh, going to oversee the uh, leadership of the player development operation. And, uh, you know, I was able to leverage those skills that I got from Harry with some really, really top-notch executives with the expos. Claude Brochu was a great executive, John McHale, uh, Jim Fanning, uh, Bill Stallman, Dave Dombrowski. I mean, th- th- those are some top-notch executives that I had an opportunity. I was grateful to work with those guys. I learned a lot from them. And um, when Dave left to go and build the uh, Florida Marlins as an expansion team, I got an opportunity to work closely with Claude Brochu and Bill Stallman. And, uh, you know, we had some we had some great ballplayers for the Expos. We, we had the strength of our organization was the minor league system. We had great leadership with Felipe Lou. We had some really good coaches there, Joe Kerrigan, Tommy Harper, Louis Pools, Kevin Kennedy, Tim Johnson, Mike Quaddy, Jerry Manuel, a bunch of those guys went on to be managers in the big leagues. Um, you know, and, and uh, we, we, we built a good organization. Uh, I mean, look at those players that came up. I think Larry Walker was probably the poster child for that farm system and that organization. There's a kid from uh, Western Canada that hadn't played much baseball, really. He um, only played like 70 games when he signed with the Expos, but he had the uh, raw skills and um, acumen and instincts to be a ball player. And despite his lack of experience, he applied those skills. Um, you know, had a great career, right? He's probably the best uh, everyday position player in the history of Canada, right? Without question. Three, three yeah. time, three-time batting champ, and, you know, he, he made the Hall of Fame. Uh, but that's a great story and a great inspiration uh, for kids all across Canada. But, you know, it also showed the – it also showed the leadership of the Expo organization to, to scout uh, kids in Canada to give them an opportunity to help them develop. Uh, and then, you know, of course, Larry, uh, you know, Larry took responsibility for his own career and uh, made that happen when, when he got into the, uh, not just the Canadian baseball hall of fame, but the uh, hall of fame in Cooperstown. So, um, but, but anyway, uh, the other thing that I think Larry did is Larry showed other kids in, in Canada that, Hey, you can do it too. Right. If you have the skill, if you if you have the skills, uh, if you have the raw skills, and, and you know you have the desire, you could be a ball player. And um, you know those both the Blue Jays and the Expos during my time there, and in the um, in the in the uh, late '80s, early '90s, we operated um, teams. And we operated academies. Uh, the Expos op- operated one in Quebec, and the Blue Jays operated the National Baseball Institute in uh, Western Canada, and 
Uh, we gave a lot of Canadian kids an opportunity. We coached the coaches, uh, brought up the level of instruction, uh, leveled up the instruction across the entire country. And then soon after that, kids started taking scholarships, going to the States, developing their careers. There's a lot more kids that played in Canada. And lo and behold, about 20 years later, Canada beat U.S. in the WBC, right? Right. Yeah, crazy um, times. So, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that was... I think primarily because Larry was an inspiration to young kids across Canada and uh, the coaches uh, uh, leveled up their skills and, you know, more and more kids started playing ball and going to the States to develop their skills too. Yeah. And Dan, I really do think that the development of the coaches and the support of the coaching, you know, from you guys, the Blue Jays and the Expos, that was a huge turning point for the country. You know, I'm always fascinated to hear you know, people with your background talk about the international game. I've been lucky enough to be involved with Major League Baseball's international player development program for the last 16 years globally. And it is it is amazing what you can do with very, very little resources in terms of, you know, pushing careers and helping players develop and tap into their true potential. I just love that part of the game. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that, that's a great passion of mine, too, player development. Um but the, you know the, the the reason that that happened across Canada is because the the uh, Expos and the Blue Jays they they took leadership yeah. uh, of it and uh, you know they, they they showed the way as they should right I mean um, you know they they should try to promote uh, promote their business and their industry across the entire country and well now that now the Blue Jays have the whole can have the whole of Canada. <laughs> To their own right oh yeah they're uh they're, they're truly canada's team yeah it's a very special situation for the blue jays to be in the raptors are in the same boat in the nba they're canada's nba team and it is incredible when these teams are having some success to see the fans from coast to coast backing these organizations not only that it's great for sport and i guess maybe for the patriotism and, and, and spirit in the country that you don't see in very many places outside of Olympic sport, maybe, right? No question about it. All right, we have to cut out for a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dan Duquette as we continue our look into our 2022 theme of organizational and team performance, talking leadership. Lots more to come right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around. Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush blog, podcast, and newsletter at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Kershell, and today on the show, we are diving into our 2022 theme of organizational and team performance with former MLB GM and three-time MLB Executive of the Year, Dan Duquette. Dan, thanks for hanging on over the break. You know, we were just talking about the Blue Jays and how they're Canada's team and how special it is to have an entire country rally behind a team. A very, very special situation to be in. The Raptors in the NBA are in a similar situation. But, you know, when we look at organizational performance and maybe focus on the Blue Jays a little bit, if there's one thing that's exciting that's going on there is this incredible crop of young players who are just exciting, loving the game, and having fun playing. It's a pretty special spot to be in, don't you think? I watched Vlad Guerrero Jr. the other day uh, take uh, Garrett Cole's inside fastball out of the ballpark, and I I had to laugh. Um, They thought that uh, 
Vlad Jr. had hurt his hand when he was stepped on on a play at first base earlier in the game. So I think somebody recommended to Cole that he tried to sneak an inside fastball by by Vlad, and uh, he hit it out of the ballpark. <laughs> he got a uh, hold Cole, of that one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He cleaned, he cleaned it out on the inside part of the plate, and Cole came to the dugout and said, who's the genius that recommended that to me with that guy? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I mean, it, it, we, we signed his dad with the Expos, and his dad was a complete ball player. I mean, um, I think he hit like 317 lifetime. Uh, but I, I got to tell you, uh, his dad – could hit more balls. He had better bat-to-ball skills than just about anybody I've seen. Uh, but his dad was not a discerning hitter. I mean, he'd swing at anything that he, uh, he uh, that he liked coming up there. I seen him hit balls out of the left-handed hitters batting batter's box at Fenway Park, uh, almost uh, hitting the ground, and see him hit him into the bullpen in right field. But the, the younger boy is a more he's got a more discerning eye. Uh, he's a more selective hitter. He's a more disciplined hitter, and he might have more power than his dad. Uh, but he, he, he's certainly fun to watch. But um, you know, I, <laughs> I I got a kick out of him taking Cole deep the other night. Oh man, amazing to watch! So watching these young kids come into the game now and just and, and just do so well at such a young age is really, I think, a tribute to the de- again player development, youth development. It's really, really changed. I think the landscape of the game. Hey, Dan, you know, we talk about words like chemistry and culture and leadership and all these important words. But, you know, when, when I, I love talking with people like yourself who've been in the game, who've been in those leadership roles, one common theme always comes around and that's, and that's personnel and that's, you know, acquiring talent and acquiring players. You know, we had a, we had a little discussion a couple of years ago about the hardest thing to do in sport. And this was revolving around the Olympics. And, you know, everybody talks about, you know, hitting hitting a 95 mile an hour major league breaking pitch or fastball. Somebody mentioned, you know, stepping in the ring of a heavyweight title match or somebody mentioned, you know, pulling off a quad in a quad jump in figure skating, all these crazy things. I came across the bow with a different approach. And my my number one hardest thing to do in sport, and I'd be interested to get your take on this, was I said being putting together a championship team. The, I just, you know, being being around pro sports as I had and you know seeing how difficult it can be to actually chase down that elusive championship and put together a, a real winning team. I said being a GM of a professional organization is truly, and putting together a championship team is one of the hardest things to achieve in sport. I was maybe breaking the rules a bit, but I, I still maybe stand by that today. Yeah, well, it, it's so difficult because there's so many things that you're you're not in control of. Um, but, um, you know, I, uh, I, I think probably the thing to do is try to get as many things that you can control um, organized and get those get those done correct and proper within your organization. And then be in a position where you can uh, sustain that, right? It, it, it's hard to get all the players together and have them mature at the right time. Um, and then, you know, win the championship, we, we did a lot of things right with the Expos. Um, uh, but unfortunately our efforts and our team came together at the time when there was a work stoppage, right? And that, that 94 team was like the peak of the Expos organization from a competitive uh, standpoint. They had a great record. They had a great team, but, 
it, it came together at a time when there was a, a work stoppage. So, um, I mean, that, that that's just one example, but you know, the idea, um, to be able to sustain that, and that's why few organizations are able to sustain it because it's so so difficult and challenging. Uh, one of the things you need in order to to do that is to have uh, leadership, stable leadership at the top, and an ownership group uh, aligned with a management team to be able to do that year in year out. And uh, you know, uh, the the people that can do that they end up having these uh, great runs, right? Yeah. And, and having a lot of championship teams, but you know, I mean, it, it's it's the top of the uh, triangle, right? You know, that's why very few people get there. Uh, everybody everybody tries to get there, and um, you know, there there isn't a lot of room at the top for the for the uh, champion, right? The champion rules that year. It certainly does. You talk about leadership. There's before we let you go here, and I, I know I'm keeping you long here, but I, I could keep you for hours, I feel. So I apologize in advance here. But you talk about that 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 incredible um um skill or talent of leadership. There's one player I have to ask you about because I think he's one of still my favorite players of all time, and that's Jason Veritek. You know, I was with the Blue Jays when Veritek was with you guys in Boston, and I, I I never really got to know him personally, of course. They would come into the Blue Jays weight room, so I got to know a lot of the players is sort of on on the periphery but he was all he he was just I, I don't know he just seemed special to me Dan and I know he was he's one of the players that was there during your time with Boston he, he was one of those sort of long-term leadership type players was he not yeah well, I think he hit the nail right on the head um, I mean he's still with the Red Sox organization and he still has a lot of influence I think on their on their game plans um, he got a lot more involved with the team last year. And I think, I think that's one of the reasons they did so well. Right. Um, you know, Jason Veritek is, um, a really, is a, is a really good example of, of, a of a leader doing the work that you have to do, uh, to, uh, to, to help your team. And, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you got to know him because he would come into the visiting clubs weight room. Well, Jason Veritek, not only did he do his um, weight training uh, during the off season, but he had a regime that he did during the season. And I'll give you an example. Um, on the days that he had the next day off, that's when he would go and he would hit it hard in, in the weight room. Okay. He knew exactly what he had to do for his body to recover and to meet the day-to-day stress of being a catcher, which is, which is, uh, pretty significant right right i mean the 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 catcher is probably the most demanding job physically on the team and it's probably the most demanding job mentally on the team and uh, veritek could do those both very very well and uh in in addition he hit from both sides of the plate with power but he, he showed he showed leadership in the game and uh he showed leadership in the clubhouse and you know, I, I don't know that I've been around a, a better leader in my career. I think you just made a good choice. Yeah. No, no, I agree. Dan, how trainable is that leadership? You know, you, you run this incredible um, consulting firm now, a Dan Duquette Consulting. One of the things that uh, I'm really intrigued in is by your, is your player development course. And I, I really like the sounds of this. Um, but when you talk about those, you know, these things that we deemed intangible, you know, in, in previous years, I think we're starting to understand that a lot of this stuff is more trainable than we realize. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, I think I think people are studying leaderships and they're they're looking at the uh, the pillars of of uh, successful leadership and some of the things that you need um, to you know create a foundation for individual leaders in your organization and a uh, you know a, a culture of leadership. So you know, I mean, you you you, you can study it. There's a lot of TED talks. Um, I, I've spent a fair amount of time studying. Successful leaders uh, in in history, uh, successful leaders of of our of our current day, uh, successful organizations, and um, I, I think that you know we've learned a lot about it re- recently. And I'm talking about like in the last ten years mm-hmm. uh, in regards to what is effective leadership. And you have to be flexible as well. Well, and and of course, watching you know your career and unfold from the Brewers to the Expos to the Red Sox to the Orioles. There's a learning curve there as well. And I, you continue to go, um, Dan, what is the, what is the Duquette consulting all about right now? I'm really intrigued by this and I see a lot of great things online. Everybody you can check it out at Duquette, the number three C.com. Uh, some really great things going on there right now. Yeah. Well, uh, we work with, uh, organizations to help them, uh, you know, maximize their, uh, their companies, depending on what they do. We, we've got some large institutional clients. Um, we, we work closely with some sports leagues and uh, sports teams. Um, but, you know, a real passion of mine is uh, uh, helping people uh, develop within their organization and help them develop leaders within an organization. And, uh, you know, we've got a number of experts on staff that, uh, depending on what your organizational needs are, we can, we can help you in all those areas. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. Well, sport is such a great base. You know, when we talk about human performance and leadership and organizational performance, so many moving parts. Dan, really appreciate the conversation today. So insightful, and, and I really, really enjoyed it. I hope we can maybe do this again at some time as the uh, baseball season rolls on and, and sport, you know, sort of the ebb and flow of sport continues along here. Yeah, thanks a lot. I got a, a few friends out there in Western Canada, a lot of friends in Canada, and uh, a lot, 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 of, lot of sports fans around the globe. So I'm glad to continue the conversation. Ah, that's great, Dan. Hey, thanks so much for today, and we'll look forward to having you on again soon. Very, very appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you. There you go, everybody. Dan Duquette, former Major League Baseball GM of the Expos, the Red Sox, the Orioles, three-time MLB Executive of the Year. What a great conversation when we're talking organizational and team performance. You know, getting into those executive offices and into that leadership role, that's where... That's where it really all starts to culminate. That's where it starts to happen. And the direction and steering that ship has to come from great, solid leadership. And you heard Dan say it there. You know, it starts with good ownership. You have to have good ownership. And then you have to have your idea and your beliefs of what you feel needs to be done in order for you and your organization to be successful. But most importantly, and probably above all else, you have to communicate that message. Everybody in the organization, and we know this from past conversations with people like Dan Pink and Jeff Colvin in the business world, okay? and everywhere there's organizational success, great leadership, 
requires great communication skills. Everybody wants to be part of something bigger than themselves. As a matter of fact, the research that we've talked about on the show has shown that money is not the main driver for passion and commitment and loyalty. It's not the main thing that drives people to go to work every single day. People want anonymity. They want to be part of the process and they want to have some say in what they're doing. And they want to be part of something bigger. And I think if you go back and listen to what Dan's talking about here, that's what he's talking about. Making sure everybody understands the overall goal and objective, where we're trying to go collectively, and then getting everybody fired up about making it happen and their role in happening. And another thing that he said that I thought was also very, very important, and I've seen this happen. I've seen this on both sides. I've seen where it does not happen at all. And I've seen where it happens really well. And you know the difference where communication doesn't happen, where nobody really knows what it's all about. And maybe it's just the egos of the executive suites, the executive office. They just, okay, everybody just do your job and we'll worry about where we're going. That is not a successful approach at any time, anywhere there's humans involved. Communication, getting input, getting everybody on board, that's where the magic happens. And I think that's one of the reasons, of course, that. Dan has been so successful over the years. What a fantastic conversation. So much to unpack there. Another thing that I really liked, another part of the conversation that I really appreciate, and when we get Dan on again, we're going to go into this a little bit more. Because if you go back and look at the players he was involved with over the years as a player development guy with the Brewers through his time in the Expos up to the GM office of the Expos, think of the players there. They came and went that they traded for. Look what they did in Boston as he helped build that organization that led on to their first World Series in, what, a oh, 100 years. The Curse of the Bambino finally broken. He's a big, big part of that. He was just um, um, elected into the Red Sox Hall of Fame here recently for all of his contributions to the organization, and rightfully so. And, of course, he went on to Baltimore. Wouldn't it be interesting to be sort of a fly on the wall inside of the Baltimore Orioles organization right now. They are in rebuilding phase. And I am talking decimated, blown up, rebuild from the ground up. And it's going to be a long, long time until they get into a situation where they're going to be successful again, especially when you consider they have the smallest payroll in Major League Baseball. We mentioned this in the opening of the show. Their 26-man roster payroll. So their big league team payroll is $35 million. And when you go to the top of the league, you know, to the Dodgers and the Mets and the Yankees of Major League Baseball, the Dodgers are clocking in for their 26-man roster at the Major League level, $241.5 million compared to $35 million. They have pitchers that are making $35 million this year. That's Baltimore's entire team payroll. And for their 40 man, they're upwards of 45 million. But frankly, that just doesn't matter. How do you lead a team that would appear to not be trying, right? 35 million. And whether it comes from ownership or whether it comes from leadership, I mean, you got to make the best of a bad situation. But oh my goodness, that's one of the problems I think with baseball itself, professional baseball itself, is just the discrepancy in payrolls. There are teams that just don't have a chance before the per first pitch is even, even thrown out. But the Tampa Bays and the Cleveland Guardians and the Oakland Athletics of sport will always somehow find a way to be scrappy and competitive, even with the smallest of payrolls. 
Imagine if you had some of that grit and tenacity with a hundred million, two hundred million dollar payroll. You would be unstoppable. Anyway, what a fantastic conversation with Dan Decat. I want to thank Dan again for his time today. I am really, really looking forward to the next time we have Dan on. Uh, great insights and a great contribution to our 2022 theme of organizational and team performance. Again, you can check out Dan's website. It is Duquette3C.com. That's the number three, followed by the letter C.com. Duquette3C.com. Check it out. Some really good stuff on there. All right, everybody, that's it for today. We are out of time. I want to thank you guys for tuning in and some of the things we're working on for upcoming episodes. Listen, the NHL playoffs are upon us, but for the majority of hockey players out there, we're heading into the offseason. We're going to be talking about the offseason for hockey players, whether you're a young player or whether you're a pro. What should you be thinking about as you head into the offseason? And the crush war on sugar will continue. We've got some incredibly alarming new information we'll be sharing with you in an upcoming episode as we continue to unravel the mysteries of the food we're eating in our Science of Sweetness series. And we'll be adding to our conversation revolving around talent in upcoming episodes as well. If there is anything you would like us to investigate or a topic you'd like us to report on, let us know. We've dedicated segments, even entire episodes to your ideas. So write to us, info at Crush Performance. Until next week, everybody, get out there, have some fun, get a little better. And remember, we're here to help you think like an athlete. Talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. Radio Influence.